Well, I I believe Jenna nailed that this morning in we will see it lived out in scripture in our in our teaching today God re- remove our distractions God focus us on you and you alone it's not about man it's not about what's going on around us it's about you in the sermon on the mount as we've studied this and i shared the very first week that we were in this series was as soon as you dive into this on the surface you can read through it pretty quickly you go wow that's that's wow okay why and you just keep saying wow it seems like but To understand the depth that is there, it's life-changing and it will challenge you beyond measure. Because the Sermon on the the Mount exposes the state of our heart. I believe that was Jesus' purpose. Because that's what he wants, right? He doesn't want actions, hollow actions. He doesn't want meaningless mercy to other. He he wants our heart. And then out of a truly dedicated heart, these things will flow. And so the first Beatitudes that we looked at... um, provided us with a description of this ideal character of a true believer, and then after that gave a couple of different uh, metaphors that we've, that we've worked through. And then we're given six different illustrations of this surpassing righteousness to which we're called. And we looked at that in, in, uh, in 5, verses 24 48. And this righteousness that supersedes and fulfills that of the scribes and the Pharisees, and indeed that of the Old Testament. In this expose, let's say, of, of the heart brings us to, or should bring us to, an honest admission of what we really are. And I think I shared back in, in, in week one, it's not a pretty picture <laughs> in our human nature. It's not a pretty picture. However, it's ultimately good to understand that because seeing ourselves as we are opens us up to God's grace. Understanding where we're at, seeing ourselves as we are, opens us up to God's grace. And that's the significance in spending time in the very beginning in in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
right? The, the, the spiritually bankrupt we talked about who realize they have nothing to commend them to God for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when we see our spiritual wretchedness, then we are candidates for spiritual greatness. It goes against what we see in media. It goes against what we see in the world. It goes against even, I think, our human, like, wait a minute, in our wretchedness, (laughs) we find uh, that we are then set up for spiritual greatness. But it's that understanding that it's not on us. We give up. We give our heart. We... um, Lay it all down so that then God can pick us up and fill us. And we should not only notice that the Sermon on the Mount doesn't just expose the believer's heart, but but really defines it. Um, None of us completely meet the standard which this teaching calls us to. But at the same time, if we are true believers, something of that, of of the character of the community, of the kingdom, something of each of those beatitudes and, and these teachings of Christ will be and become present in our lives. If we are true believers, something of the character of the, of the kingdom, something of each of the Beatitudes will be authentically present in our lives. This spiritual poverty, this humility, spiritual thirst, this mercy, this peacemaking. And along with this, there will be the presence of this surpassing righteousness of Christ. We may fall at times, but we will practice righteousness. Anger, adulterous thoughts, insincere talk, retaliation will begin to melt away, will progressively vanish. From our lives and this agape love, this unconditional love, this ultimate love, right, will will become characteristic of us as believers. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit and with His Word, including the teachings of of Christ, these explicit teachings that we're even even just here that we've recorded that's recorded on the Sermon on the Mount, we will practice righteousness. Now this is where when you start to understand and then go even deeper, it becomes more challenging because this can be where danger lies. For once you begin to fulfill the righteousness of God, once you're, say, flying spiritually, so to speak, once you are living a full life of of good deeds, it's very easy 
to begin doing your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. And that's what we see Christ teaching us. And the passage that we'll look at this morning in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read, just read through that, and then we'll, we'll work through these. But if you are able, I would love for you to stand with us as we read God's Word. Just Jesus is speaking. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And we're going to stop right there this morning. And this is God's Word taken from His Holy Scriptures that we have collected in the Bible. And so being well aware of our danger... Jesus issues this warning at the beginning of 6 that we read, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. In normal, everyday conversations, workplace, or at home, most of us have learned um, to use absolute words. Like always or every, maybe in your relationship, very sparingly. Because you use statements like, you always leave your dishes on the table. Every time I want to talk to you, you're watching TV. You always want to be in control. You can get into some pretty heated conversations. Well, this can be true regarding biblical statements as well, but we always want to be careful not to absolutize them if they're not absolute. But Jesus' words are very clear in this passage, and I believe absolute. He's saying anyone who does a good deed so as to be seen and appreciated by others will lose 
his or her reward, no matter how good and beneficial the deed is. Now, this isn't an overarching loss. It's possible for a believer, let's say, to be take a even a leper is person and limb in his hand and, and, and caress it and, and speak words of comfort. But according to Jesus' teaching, ultimately have no reward. It's possible to pray for your enemies and have no reward. It's possible to preach like an angel and have no reward. Well, why is that? It's because it's possible to do these things, all of these things, for the recognition of men and not of God. So we're back again to a heart issue, right? A heart condition. And we can very possibly find this very unsettling because it means that my life, which was given to God, can't, if lived in such a way, can in the end count for not much of anything. But Jesus does not want that to happen. He is aware that those who have begun to fulfill his word can be in great danger. So he gives this advice supported and gives us two different ins, uh, illustrations for the proper motivation in serving him. And the first uh, speaks directly to their day and time in, in the giving of alms, alms giving, giving to the needy as an act of mercy. In verse 2, Jesus tells us there's a wrong way to do that. And so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. And so the wrong way to go about that is to blow your own horn, so to speak, which is what Jesus is saying if he's using this symbolic information. If he's speaking of a literal practice, he's probably talking at one time they would sound the trumpets in the temple to call citizens of that village or that town or that city to come and give. Wouldn't that be a great opportunity if you're giving in the wrong capacity for the wrong reasons to go. The trumpets would blare. The people would be seen bustling around the, the, the streets towards the temple. You can almost imagine, uh, you know, somebody coming to give for that outward appearance, uh, you know, look out, come, coming through, <laughs> can't hardly carry this uh, suitcase full of, <laughs> of coins. 
they thought they were really something, but but Jesus calls them hypocrites. He, like actors pretending to be something they were not, assuming this false identity, putting on this theatrical display. And the truth is they're not giving for the glory of God or even for the benefit necessarily of the needy. Again, this is not, I don't want to paint a, not every person in that era gave this way, nor does every person in our day and time give this way. But it, it is a pitfall, and we'll talk here in a little bit how that it is a pitfall that we can very quickly find ourselves in and not just giving, and we'll see that. Giving so others will think we're good and generous is ultimately hypocrisy, and the, the personal result is less than any enviable. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Well, the Lord's language here is pretty decisive. That word translated reward is a technical term for like a commercial transaction, which means to receive a sum in full and give a receipt for it. So men's praise is all they will ever get. That's all they're capable of receiving. The truth is that they were not giving, but really buying, I guess you could think of it as, and they got what they paid for. It's possible then, if we look at this, to be one of the most generous people or even believers both in amount or proportion or whatever, however you want to do that, yet have no reward except for what you immediately receive. Jesus describes then the right way to go about that. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Our, our Lord uses a kind of a weird, absurd kind of illustration to emphasize the, the intense privacy that should be present when we give to help others. The, the right hand giving... And the left hand not knowing is, is trying to paint this picture of how secretively or, or how guarded, let's say, that should be. The idea is not only we're not telling it and broadcasting it and making a big deal about it, but really we're... We should make sure that we're not making a big deal of it to ourselves. We're so subtly sinful that I believe that we will refrain from an outward show and giving, but in our mind to be patting ourselves on the back for this profound humility. 
think Jesus is teaching even here we we must guard against this we're not to keep this mental list which you jot down kind of all your good deeds assuming uh, that is so spiritual because you did it in private it's like we don't keep track don't don't give yourself uh, you know uh, brownie points or mar- you know marks forget your goodness follow god do it Don't dwell on it. Move on. So I think one of those guiding principles, even in just this giving um, that Jesus is sharing with us, this true believer gives and serves to please God, not for the fleeting approval of man. My constant prayer, I know those that are on the worship team and are a part of our, our, our services here on Sunday. We don't long to be on stage. We just long to worship him. Many of us have gifts and talents and and abilities to lead, and and we see in Scripture those leading groups in in song with musical instruments and with voices. But it's not about being in in any one place. It's about our heart. And so we pray consistently as a leadership, God, don't let this be about us. Don't let us, we want to be wise and discerning and act when you're calling us to act, but don't let us lead this. You lead us leading this. And so, but we fall into the second someone steps going up these stairs. there is that possibility for that sinful nature to creep in and begin to be more concerned about what we think or people think and not about worshiping. And the same can be said of serving, singing, teaching, wherever We find ourselves true believers give and serve to please God, not for the fleeting approval of man. And Jesus then gives us an illustration uh, in prayer or about prayer. And he describes the wrong way to pray. And when you pray to you, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to, to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So these these hypocrites he's speaking of like to engage in this embellished public prayer in two places he names, the street corners and the synagogues. And opportunities for these street corner, let's say, performances come at the time of this daily afternoon temporal sacrifice And during public fast, they would again sound trumpets as a sign that it was time to pray. 
like Monday at noon, the horn goes off. You know, if that went off daily at noon, everybody was supposed to stop exactly where they were and offer prayer. Well, wherever a devout man or woman was on the street, he he stopped, faced the temple, and prayed which depending upon where your heart was, it could be a perfect opportunity to let you see how spiritual I am. To maybe time my afternoon walk where I just happened to be on Main Street in front of the steamer. (laughs) Wherever else everybody congregates, uh, Viking Mart. Not at noon, everybody's gone by that point. That's more of an early early morning haunt there, but by, yeah, I'm not up at that point. <laughs> but you get it? The horn would would blare, they would stop what they're doing, they would begin to pray, and oh, just happens to be someone where there's all kinds of people around, and I show them what I've got. We see uh, Luke captures the Pharisee in chapter 18, 11, and 12. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, right? Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give tenth of all I get. Synagogue prayer was led by a member of the congregation who stood before the ark of the law, raised his hands, and held forth, and it would be easy to become preaching, preachy, using all the right cliches or or dramatic pauses or voice variations or, or whatever. Jesus has other ideas. When, when you pray, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus is not condemning public prayer. I mean, we, he was condemning the desire to be seen praying Publicly, I mean, the early church thrived on public prayer, and the opening chapters of Acts shares those pictures with us. Jesus is emphasizing that prayer is essentially a conversation between us and him. But it's this intrinsically private not exhibitionist. Man is to shut out every distraction, like Jenna was talking about, these distractions, and focus on our Creator, our Father. He goes on, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. When I read this, I immediately thought, there's many people that say, oh, I can't pray in public. 
Oh, I, I, I can't do it. It freaks, it freaks me out. I, I get that, but I think some of that comes from an unhealthy perspective of I've got to say something powerful that you're going to expect me to say. It's a communication between me and God. And we're called to pray for one another openly. We're called to pray in secret, but their public prayer we see throughout Scripture. But when you're asked to pray and many don't feel comfortable, I think it comes from a place of feeling that we've got to measure up. I can't pray like that guy. He prayed for like 20 minutes. And I had to look up a bunch of the words. That's not what what he's telling us, right? We understand. And we see that here, babbling like pagans. Our Lord's not impressed with a lot of words. He's impressed with what the heart is saying. And this comes right down to where we live. Our, our Lord shows us here just how terrible and entrenched our sin can become. We, we tend to regard sin as something that affects us when we're far away from God. I was just not walking with the Lord and I fell off into this chasm of fill in the blank almost like the prodigal son but I'm here to tell you sin's far more subtle and far more ingrained than that it intrudes into the very even even the very highest and holiest of acts of of prayer it's understood by all that when Believers are engaged in prayer. This, this is this ultimate activity in which our souls can be engaged by our Father. That you can get this telling photograph or snapshot of sin. Someone on their knees in prayer, pouring their soul out to God in worship, only to have the prayer begin to dissolve into this preoccupation of themselves, so that ultimately they're really worshiping themselves in prayer. So, looking at that, a few questions that 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 kind of came to mind. Do I do I pray frequently or as fervently when I'm alone with God than when I'm in public? Is my public praying an overflow of my private? Prayer, what do I think about when I'm praying in public? Are the words coming out of your mouth, but you're very concerned with what, what the appearance? 
is? Are you looking for just the right phrase? Are you thinking of the worshipers more than God, a spectator to your own performance? I think we can be sure that Jesus meant exactly what he said. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And when we honestly faith face the, the truth of this, it's so very sobering. When we do works of mercy, do we play the crowd, however small it may be? When, when we pray, do we pray to God or to man asking ourselves these questions? can be painful, depending upon where our heart has been. Man is great insofar as he is wretched. If we see our problem in all its wretchedness, then we are in a position to receive grace. then we're in a position to receive grace. So what's the answer? Well, first, absolute honesty with ourselves. And we need to remember God sees all. Psalms uh, 139 says, if we make, uh, verse 8, if, if I make my way to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. He sees, he knows all. He knows the words they are forming on our lips. Each day we should pray. God, because you know all things, you know my motivations. God, God help me to live my life for you. You know my motivations. Got to align my motivations, align my heart to your heart. Help me live a life for you. Christ then gives us this call, and and we didn't read down through it, that gives us a call to true worship and prayer. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, we have the Lord's Prayer. And that in itself, I feel is a series, like looking at the depths of the Lord's Prayer. And so we're, we're going to circle back around to that this summer and look specifically at the Lord's Prayer and what it is with the Father and, and forgiving trespasses and what is um, getting our daily bread. Consistently, we see as we study Christ's greatest teaching moment uh, captured here, the Servant on the Mount, our faith is a heart issue. And so we just kind of land this morning, two two thoughts, two, two statements 
that work together when our heart is not totally and completely given to and filled by him our words and actions can are hollow and meaningless but when our heart is completely given to him given over and filled by him acknowledging the our own spiritual bankruptcy our words and actions become true acts of worship because we understand right that worship isn't just carrying a tune or a melody or a song worship is how we live our life and we can worship the world or ourselves or we can worship god and where our heart is that worship follows and so if we don't give that completely it's not filled by him our words become action our actions become hollow and meaningless but when our heart is heart is given completely over and filled by him is when we truly are worshiping and i believe that's what our our message this morning shares with us where is our heart understanding how easily that can begin to shift and how we should be in prayer daily uh, in, in cognizant daily of lining our heart up with and filling it with him and nothing else would you pray with me heavenly father god we don't want hollow words we don't want babbling we don't we we want to follow you so god i i would pray that this body of believe this this family of believers would invite and engage the opportunities to pray to you to pray for others around them both openly and privately but in those times lord don't don't let us not worry about what we're saying god give us your words allow it to be just as you intended it to be to be sharing our heart with you not about picking the right phrases or, or or the right ending i mean lord you know we may be in prayer and just sit in silence because you know our heart you call us to verbalize that but many times we may just sit so god just uh, guide us in that direct us in that continue to grow grow us into laying down and and dying to ourselves and taking up your cross each Sunday we have the opportunity to share um, in 